The Money Show. Small business. Pablo Fatidi is with us, as always, on a Thursday evening. I've got a bit of a quiz question, a bit of a trivia question for you, Pablo. You, you ready for a game? I certainly am. If I was to say something is the best thing since sliced bread, do you know that sliced bread has a start date? <laughs> a start date? Well, the, the, today is the anniversary of sliced bread becoming available for the first time. Um, and it was a company called uh, Chili Cloth Baking Company, and it had a brand called Clean Made Bread, um, and they sliced it for the first time on this day in 1928. So essentially, if you're saying that something is the best thing since sliced bread, you're putting a date on it. You're saying this is the finest thing to happen. In all of the history since the 7th of July, 1928, this is the best thing to happen. But we say the best thing since sliced bread because who can remember the date? Anyway, just a little bit of trivia. Um, the best thing since sliced bread in terms of small business <laughs> is Pablo Fatidis. And you're talking tonight about sandwiches. I thought that was a wonderful connection to make. Um, and, and explain to me, please, how you see the economy as a sandwich, uh, particularly a sandwich between two slices of bread. Well, Bruce, what really got me going on all of this was a tweet that Mark Barnes put out there, more or less in the middle of June. And he was bemoaning the state of affairs in our economy, as he's known to do, vocally and actively. And he turned around and he said in his tweet, as public sector standards crash, private sector standards start falling too. We're settling for less and less as we sink into the quicksand of failure. And it really got me thinking about what informs that and why is it so. And then I ran some numbers across the economy. And our economy is structured like a sandwich. Two pieces of bread, a thin slice of meat in between. And mostly when you look at the sandwich, you see the bread and seldom do you see the meat. But the true, true energy, the true value of that meal lies in the protein, it lies in the meat, not the bread itself. So what does it look like from an economy point of view? And I'm gonna share the numbers from 2017 because it's really, really hard to get data out of South Africa, useful data, sensible data, well thought through data. And there are a few reasons for it. Firstly, I don't think we use data much in the country to guide a lot of policies that are made. And secondly, we have this dreadful, dreadful term, much like the US has and the UK and many, many other countries called SME, which are small, medium enterprises. It is a completely meaningless, disparaging, diminishing term to talk about the meat in the sandwich because it's far easier to focus on corporates and then the many, many, many micro-businesses. So in South Africa, in 2017, we had 1,401 businesses that had a taxable income greater than 50 million rand. 1,400 businesses. It's poor, isn't it? 50 million rand taxable income. It's, it's a terrifying number. It's a terrifying number. We had around 161,400 businesses with a taxable income between one rand and a million rand. So let's remember, taxable income is the profit before tax. So once you've had your sales, once you've 
wash all your expenses through. It's the money that sits at the bottom of the income statement prior to paying your tax, after which you can secure a dividend. We had a mere 35,000 businesses, 34,916 businesses that do between, from a taxable income point of view, a million to 50 million rands of taxable income. The bread and the sandwich is in the corporate sphere because it's exciting for investors, because they are predominantly, or in many instances, not all of them, but many of them are public companies. What was the stat you shared earlier? About 380, 390 odd listed companies. Yeah. It makes for news, it makes for media activity, it makes for gossip, it makes for size, it makes for big brands. At the same time, they, the big businesses, are the ones that can afford to advertise in media. So there's an enormous amount of attention paid on the big businesses. They've got big numbers in terms of jobs, they've got big revenues, they've got big contributions to the economy in terms of their establishment. The smaller side, the 1,600, the 161,000 odd businesses in the formal economy. Well, Bruce, you know, they're interesting for government because they carry a lot of voting power. Many of those businesses are sole proprietors. Many of them are micro enterprises. There might be two, three, four people employed, involved. It might be a husband and wife team or a couple or a partner, a partner business. They're adults and they carry, they carry an enormous amount of voting power. And when you look at why and how all government incentives are structured, they're structured predominantly to be easily accessible to the large corporates. In fact, big multinationals are some of the biggest beneficiaries of grants in our country. So if you think of the automotive industry, we pay to play in order to have Mercedes and BMW and Ford and all these large brands established in South Africa on the basis that they are job generators and on the basis that they spur an extensive supply chain of SME opportunity. And then we pander extensively into the micro enterprise space because it suits government to do so in order to secure favor wherever the polls run and the voting starts. And it's no different to the UK, it's no different to the US, it's no different to uh, uh, many other countries. But here's the thing. The thing is this, that competition is predominantly found in that mid-tier market. Yeah. Because when you have a business doing between one and 50 million rands of taxable income, the mindset of those private businesses is such that you found traction in the market, you're investing consistently, relentlessly, in order to move your business up the growth curve. We don't have funding available within the SME space in South Africa. So many of those businesses are self-funding and have to continuously fund to stay ahead. Secondly, there are enough resources in those businesses in terms of people, in terms of momentum, in terms of clarity around purpose, in terms of leadership, in terms of plant and equipment and other resources for them to be in the most viciously competitive segment. If they don't secure that next deal and any one of 
2,000 similar-sized businesses in the industry do, it's hard to retain and get that deal back. So the level of competition is extensive. Absolutely. Yet you get governments, and I, I don't know if this is a global problem, if it's particularly a South African problem, but you get governments that focus on the corporate sector. When policy is made, corporate sector executives are invited into the room and discussions are had and settlements are done and um, deals are done and the structure of the economy is done around what is best for corporates. Um, and so often, the constituents that you represent, Pablo, is left out on the periphery of this particular discussion, despite the fact that this is where the growth is going to come from in the future. This is where the jobs will come from in the future. This is where expansion is going to come from. This is where innovation is going to come from. And this is the sector that is ignored. And only the fittest and the most wily and the most extraordinary survive that gauntlet. Completely. And, and can, I give you, can I give you a view that you could call it cynical, I believe it to be sceptical. Now, Bruce, in 2016, before 2016, certainly the businesses I work with in this mid-tier sector, of the collection that I work with, by far the majority had traditionally always voted Democrat, right? And then over a period of time, and I watched this occur over a decade, there were complaints that they were working as hard as they were ever before, and yet the relative gain in their wealth within the mid-tier space was diminishing. The second thing they complained about was that on relative terms, as a small or medium-sized business, relative to its size, it pays more tax than a large corporate relative to its size. And we took a long, hard look at this. And what we learned is that the way tax structures and tax law is articulated is there are many, many, many gray areas in, in niche parts of law. So very large organizations have an incentive to be able to and can afford to get very good tax advice on how to minimize legally their tax payments. They have enough complexity in their organizations to have multiple entities to have them located in different parts of the world, to have them in different tax jurisdictions. There's an absolutely logical argument for it because as you grow and as you become big and as you become bigger and you build more muscle and more power, you want to enter into more markets to diversify your income. So on a relative basis, those very, very large businesses are relatively paying slightly less tax. The next thing is this. The process of lobbying government is expensive. It is not simple, it is not easy. And the opportunity to enter into the corridors of policy makers, of bureaucrats, of technocrats, of politicians, and lobby actively to create influence around the establishment of a new harbor that needs to be built by its sheer size and the complexity of it, that paid for by taxpayers' money, is largely afforded to the two or three or four very large organizations. And Bruce, I don't have the data to show this, but the interpretation that certainly was shared with me is that after a life in public service as a politician, your second career typically resides on the boards mm -hmm. of those very, very large international businesses. 
plenty of there is plenty of evidence to suggest that that's precisely the pattern, uh, because those relationships. You know, we 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 like the people we know. And when we get the people we know, we trust the people we know, we've worked with these people, they understand the the lie of the land, they are connected um, in the public sector in a way that we're not, so therefore we may as well use our connections. It is the way of the world of business, and it's not always uh, full of integrity. There are often um, periods of time that people need to observe to take a break between those periods. But, um, yeah, there have been lots of controversial appointments. Where should our focus be, Pablo? I mean, let's get cut to the chase. How do we get a, a, a focus on these mid-sized, smaller mid-sized companies that are going to be the growth ends of, uh, engines of the future in a way that is credible and enduring is beneficial to the broader economy. Well, here's the political argument. The political argument is in that mid-tier space, it's where the highest rate of innovation takes place in any country. And the reason is very simple. Because that mid-tier space is so, so competitive, in order to stay ahead, you have to stay ahead by improving the value you offer to potential customers. Value is going to come by way of innovation. It might be in products, it might be in services, it might be in the way that you do business, it might be in your business model. But the moment you innovate in order to outcompete, innovation in itself begins to attract funding. Funding and innovation begin to attract talent. Talent combined with funding in a highly competitive space leads to further innovation. And through that, you create vibrancy right across the sectors that actively focus on building out that mid-tier sector. The second thing is this, much like, <laughs> you know, we, we can't escape, we can't escape the fact that very, very large businesses need to be supplied and supported by large businesses. Large businesses need to be supplied and supported by medium-sized businesses all the way right down to micro enterprises. And the reason is simple, Bruce, in that a very, very large business has a demand for service and product that only a business with sufficient scale and muscle behind it can service effectively and competitively. So to the extent that we build out that mid-tier and we start providing incentives across the mid-tier as opposed to only the very, very large or the very, very uh, 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 nascent businesses, we then start to bring more companies into that mid-tier space. It creates by far a broader and wider and more inclusive economy. And in so doing, we're not only getting the innovation, but we're getting the full bank for buck in tax that gets earned. It's a viable place for any government to focus on should that government want to see sector from sector competing both locally and then internationally too. That's the meat in the sandwich. And if Mark's unhappy about standards, both across public and multinational or big corporate sectors, Mr. Barnes, focus all your activity in the medium tiers. That's who we should be supporting. Pavlo Fatidis, Auric Business Accelerator, broadening the debate. Thanks, Pavlo.